remember last week we talked about dependencies and in the course of the conversation I sort of um apologetically is that, is that a word I sort of feel I felt embarrassed when I when I mentioned that um SPI server so the the package that drives the swift package index um web page mm-hmm. is the one with the most dependencies in the index at at 56 okay and when I was listening back to the episode I thought I've been approaching this all wrong this is the swift package index server package the server the package that's hosting the package index it should be using as many packages as possible we need to embrace <laughs> the index right embrace the index that's probably a tagline we should we should um, have on the site so if anything that number is too low we should be aiming to have at least one percent of our packages that we use <laughs> I have a mission. Yeah, I have a mission. I'm going to I'm going to get all the dependencies. Maybe we should just include every dependency just in case we need it. Well, at least a few more we could do, right? Maybe we should remember when when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone and said, you know, wants to have 1% market share, we should maybe have 1% package share in a year, yeah, <laughs> and and maybe then in the future we could aim for 2 or 3% long term, but you know, 1%. We're we're close. We're 56, 63, 10% <laughs> is 1%, so we're right there. I mean, it doesn't take much. Who else is going to test whether all these packages work together? I think we are the only. Exactly. We're the only yeah. answer to that question. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple couple of um, easy ones we can pull in um, without bending over backwards too much. <laughs> I'm sure something can be done. <laughs> anyway, so that was that. Um, and then the other interesting bit of his feedback we got was from uh, Joe Heck. So he sent us uh, a follow up email. Um, we've talked about JavaScript um, dependency trees, how they tend to be big and um, self-referencing in, in ways we found puzzling. And he said he suspects the reason is that um, the dependency trees in JavaScript are independent. So, and my understanding yeah. was if this is as if, so Swift package manager, when you do package resolution, it, it looks at the whole thing and resolves one version and one version only per package that is used for your artifact. And sometimes that doesn't work, right? There, there is no package resolution because one package has a certain range for a, pa- a dependency and another package has another in- incompatible range and then package resolution fails entirely. My understanding is in JavaScript, that would still work because you have two independent subtrees that both use that that dependency just at different versions. And I think yes. the analogy in Swift is as if every dependency was built like a binary artifact, and then you pulled those binary artifacts in and linked them into your binary at the end, such that you, they're sort of opaque. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, but it's not it's not binary, of course, it's just source code. So the the slightly annoying thing is I actually knew this already and I just completely it slipped my mind completely when we were talking about it last week. Um uh, and and it is an interesting approach, um, but it brings with it as many problems as it solves. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting how these different approaches potentially lead to different outcomes. I mean, we don't have the numbers. Um, There were some similarities between JavaScript's um, ecosystem and Rust, um, and Rust, I believe, doesn't have that that same approach. So the fact that they also have um, circular references might indicate that 
that would happen on in Swift as well. I, again, we, we'll we'll do this at some point, um, and then we'll find out. I still can't explain why some packages um, reference themselves. Wasn't that a thing? Yeah, not only that, I think even directly, which which I found super baffling. It's yeah. So the, the 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 two the two dependency cycle is now explained more readily, but the one package dependency cycle is is still a mystery to me. <laughs> yeah, that that pretty much is a mystery. I I wonder if that's something that was wrong within. Um, but you know, his analysis looked very thorough and um, considered. So I, it doesn't look like this was a, a, a data you know mess up or anything like it. Um, we see. And if you're wondering what we're talking about, what we you should go back and listen to the uh, previous episode where we talk about this this blog post about uh, JavaScript dependencies and uh, and and you'll you'll hear all the, the the background to what we're what we're following up here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. That was that was um, the follow up that I have in my notes. One thing we can talk about this week is we had a pull request uh, merged as a result of the Swift mentorship program. Uh, so we've been participating in the mentorship program for three years now. Uh, this is our third year of uh, participation. Uh, and I've been working with um, Cindy Chin to um, work on some of our um, package scoring uh, code. and. So there's actually been a couple of pull requests merged by Cindy already. Um, the project that we're working on is all around package score and how we determine it and how we surface what the package score is. And so package authors can see their package score and things like that. And uh, we got started with a with one pull request um, almost at the beginning of the program. And then this week we merged uh, another pull request, which is part of the scoring mechanism so we're adding an extra dimension to uh scoring um so we have this internal package score which is what we use uh it's not entirely the sort order for search results but it it contributes to the sort order for search results um and we want to make that package score represent or should we say um we want to make that package score uh increase when good quality packages uh, should naturally increase that package score. So for example, if a, um, a package has been maintained recently, it had a issue closed or a pull request closed or a commit or something like that, then we count that as a, as a recently main, maintained package and that adds to the score. If the package repository is archived, um, we don't give any, points for that but if, if it's not archived we get some points for that and there's several you can have a look at the the source in fact we'll give a link to the source code in the uh, show notes uh because the um algorithm is transparent and open um and um and we've added to it or cindy has added to it this week by um adding a uh, score increase if your package has a test target now there's pros and cons to this score increase for test targets. Um, it is just about the simplest implementation of are there tests in this package? And what it does is it looks through the um, 
the targets in the package manifest. Uh, and if you have a test target, then it says then you probably have some tests. Now, depending on how you made your package, you might have got a test target for free and might have never added any actual yeah. test to it. Um, so there's an element of this which we would like to improve again in the future, but this progress towards a better system, right? This is that how yeah. how software development works. We step one foot in front of another. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be good as a as a second step to try and at least reject the common case where you know someone has just created a template package and sort of got this got the points for free and someone who actually cleaned up the template and removed stuff they weren't using would actually be sort of punished for for doing the the tidying up. Um, that's probably something we can do at some point. It it, it doesn't sound like it's I could imagine there are ways to do that that aren't overly complicated um just briefly thinking about it uh, devil might be in the details but yeah it's the sort of thing that is probably one metric that is going to be really interesting for someone looking for a package test coverage um one way or another if, if it's by counting targets and or number of tests or ideally actual coverage is a really interesting metric but obviously it's also hard to get right test coverage is really hard to obtain unless you run the tests and running the tests isn't something we'll we'll probably ever do or be able to do because aci system is notoriously difficult to set up even if you own the project and probably <laughs> impossible to do if you don't own it so <laughs> yeah. yeah ci ci is hard to set up if if you're being paid to set it up yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let alone us setting it up for other for every project that exists. Um, My, I, I really like messing with tests and CI, but the prospect of managing hundreds of CI <laughs> systems of packages I don't own is isn't one I cherish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's uh, it's it's the kind of thing that I I also don't think we'll ever go to that level with the package index uh, compatibility system. But we could certainly, um, we could certainly do more to start actually looking for number of tests. I, I probably wouldn't want to even um, report, even if we could. I mean, obviously, we'd need to run the tests. But even if we could find a way to do that, I wouldn't even particularly want to report code coverage. Um, but I, but I think a simple number of tests is is a great metric that we'll potentially work work towards uh, going forward. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that might be feasible with Swift syntax if you really want to look at the source code or maybe even some some simple heuristics that might be wrong, but you know, in 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 some edge cases, but generally have have a good result that might work too. Yeah, I think there are ways to to arrive there that aren't overly complicated. And then the next stage of um, Cindy's work on the uh, mentorship program is um, to explain that score so i said a few minutes ago i said we put a link to the source code in um linking to the source code is one way to tell people how their package is scored um but it's not a great way <laughs> it is however the way that we've been relying on so far um but the 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 next piece of work that cindy is currently working on in fact i i had a, a meeting with her about an hour ago um where we looked at a prototype of of this working on uh, on her branch um is to on the so we have a page for package maintainers uh where we give people the markdown for the 
um, compatibility badges that they can put in their readme and links to how to configure the documentation, things like that. And at the bottom of that page, we're going to have a section where it tells people what the package score is and then has a table underneath that score to also explain how the points were tallied and why the points were tallied so that you can take a look at your package if you have a package in the index and see okay well this is why i got this score and if i would like to improve my score um this is what i need to do and if if all of this works then those things that you do to improve your score will also make your package better. So hopefully there'll be no gaming of the system. I was just going to say, we're going to publish the recipe to game the system. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, well, I think there's obviously going to be a little bit of that. um, uh, And we can't, we can't stop that, nor would I particularly be interested in stopping it. Um, But I think as long as we, we are, I think we should be transparent with, with what the score is. I mean, we are being transparent by definition because it's an open source project. So we can't, I mean, we could hide it. We could put it in a private package, but I definitely don't want to do that. Um, so it is already, it is already open. Um, this is just explaining it basically. Yeah. And you know, if, if we get people to add documentation to their package, even if it's bare bones, that's still a win. If, if that's the level of gaming it's still a win. we arrive at, that's, that's fine. That's that's good because then it's easier yeah. next time around to just do a little more uh, that other little bit of documentation because you've already set it up. Why not use it? It's like a broccoli eating competition. You know, you can cheat <laughs> and eat a load of broccoli and at the end of it, you're just more healthy. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work at all. It, it sounds like you don't, you, you don't like broccoli. I actually love broccoli. That didn't sound like... I actually, I love broccoli. I think I would even go as far as to say broccoli is my favorite vegetable. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I don't know whether that'll make the edit. <laughs> Leave it in. <laughs> the last thing to mention here is that Cindy was very keen with her mentorship to... Um, do a feature end-to-end and so we started off with some planning of it we talked about possibilities we talked about should we even display the score where should we display it we toyed with having it on the package page so we did a little kind of feature design at the beginning we also wanted at least one more kind of indicator into that score which is this test target um pull request that got merged um but i think the other thing which is is really nice to see is that she wanted to take this feature right through to launching it and the last pull request on this uh on this project for for her will hopefully be a blog post announcing the thing so it's literally from what are we even going to do through to several pull requests to add some functionality through to launching it and publicizing it and getting the word out about what we're doing very nice which i think is just it's such a great attitude it's been it's i mean it's not over yet but it's been a pleasure working with cindy so far that sounds great all right in other news we have upgraded our build system to the release version of swift 5.9 which is probably not a big change for most packages we were still running on a early version of the Swift 5.9 beta, but I don't think there were many packages that had any build differences between the two. The biggest change is probably that we're also now generating a documentation by default with 5.9, because the documentation generation always happens on the latest release version. 
in our system. And as long as we're on a pre-release version, we don't switch documentation generation over yet. Um, so if you haven't specified a Swift version for your doc generation, from now on, your docs will be generated with 5.9. That's also probably not a big change between 5.8, 5.9. Do, do you actually know what the doc C differences are between the two versions? I don't think there was any. The quick navigation was 5.8, right? Yeah, that was a very user-facing feature that came with 5.8, but 5.9, I don't think there's anything in the UI. I believe there was a default change when it comes to generating documentation for extensions, but I'm I'm always a bit hazy on, on what goes in when and what default is enabled when. But the it might be a good idea if you have um, documentation and you release a new version or just the main branch, have a look at um, your docs for that version to make sure that everything looks as as you expect it to and if you see any issues make sure you run you know generate your documentation locally with um swift 5.9 mm -hmm. to see if they get the same result and if there's any discrepancy let us know if there are any errors let us know and we'll take a closer look um yeah that's just the head up heads up around that um that change absolutely shall we do some packages yeah, let's uh, let's do some packages, and um, I will start us off this week with um, a package by Miguel de Casa uh, called Swift Godot or Godot, um, which is something that I've been paying a little bit of attention to for a little while now. So um, I don't know whether you heard in the last couple of weeks, um, Unity um, put their foot squarely in their mouth with um, a change of business plan that really was not very well thought through and um uh was was uh to say the least badly received by the unity community one could say there was discord in the unity community <laughs> one could if one wanted to yes but let's hope one doesn't want to um, <laughs> um yeah it was it was a terrible uh pr disaster um and I'm not a Unity user. I've I've downloaded it and had a, a a very very cursory play with it, but but I definitely wouldn't call myself a user of it. Um, but one thing that I had been kind of keeping my eye on is this uh, open source uh, game um, framework called uh, Godot or Godot. I'm not quite sure what the uh, pronunciation is, and um, I think. They had a huge um, boost in publicity when this Unity uh, announcement went bad because everyone suddenly starts looking for well maybe what else is available. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and Miguel um, has put together some bindings for um, uh, the framework using Swift. So there is a apparently a new um, extension system in the framework that you can hook into and um, and then interact with the the game objects so um, the default language for this framework is actually a language called GDScript which it's a little like Python in that it uses indentation for structure, um, but also it's a little. It's uh, there's certainly a couple of shades of, of Swift in there with um, you know var statements and func statements and things like that. So it's it's um, GDScript itself is is uh, one option for interacting with this framework, but now you can actually also use um, Swift and 
I just want to call out what a fantastic job. Um, I don't, I don't know how I haven't used this package, but what a fantastic job uh, Miguel has done with documenting this package, even down to hosting a tutorial, uh, a fifty-minute-long tutorial using the Doxy uh, tutorial um, framework um, to get you started with building a um, a game with Swift using this framework. Nice. Yeah, this was actually also on my list. Uh, actually, the first one. <laughs> oh, I sniped you. you. you got, yeah, sniped, <laughs> got in first. Yeah, and, and I picked it for the same reason I, the, with the, the Unity stuff going on. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw. I didn't actually see that there was this long tutorial in it. And I think tutorials can be quite there is. fiddly to generate. So creating a tutorial that long is um, is quite the task. That's That's amazing. So from the readme file, if you click through to the uh, API documentation, you'll end up on um, a Doxy uh, generated documentation set, which is unfortunately not hosted with package index, but we'll forgive Miguel just this one time. Um, and the very first link on that um, on that documentation is to the tutorial. It's called Meet Swift Godot, and uh, it is estimated at 50 minutes of uh, development. Nice. The other thing perhaps worth mentioning is there is a binary package that also comes with um, Swift Go, or is associated with Swift Godot. And the advantage here is that he has packaged the underlying library up in a binary artifact. So you don't need to actually build the whole framework to use it. And that should probably help with your just user experience using that that package. I, I haven't tried this, uh, so I don't know how this worked. I did have a quick look into how to set this up, but I quickly gave up when I saw what all is, is needed to do this. And, and game dev is a bit like cooking for me. I've, I've, I've sort of chosen to specialize in eating, so I, I, I'm much better at playing games than, than doing anything <laughs> around creating, creating them. So I, I pretty much waved the flag immediately. I have had a play with um, the framework itself way before the Unity stuff. I, I uh, investigated it uh, maybe six months ago, but I didn't do anything apart from write a little GD script, which is just the default. Right. So that's um, yeah, that's my first package re- recommendation. I think I think we are going with Godot, right? I, I think so. That's how I had had it in in my head. Right. <laughs> Probably needs some sort of. Um, um, phonetic um spelling out as a yes, as a exactly. metadata field on all these packages <laughs> so that's uh, swift godot by miguel diacaza nice. right my first pick is called swift sdk generator by that little company called apple um and this is of particular interest to me it's a package about uh, or for cross compilation it's a cross compilation toolkit and was i think released just last week or the week before. So there have been some Swift proposal around this, um, Swift proposals that went through a while back, but this is the first part of the whole cross-compilation story that is actually usable and and does work, but in limited ways. So currently what it supports is cross-compilation from macOS to Linux. And the way this works is use this SDK generator to create a, a Swift SDK um, SDK toolkit. So it's sort of a bundle. You can bundle up, it's 2.5 gigabytes of stuff, essentially Linux stuff that you bundle together and, and it's by Linux version. So there are slight differences um, 
between different Linux distributions. So you need to do this typically per Linux distribution. I've tried this for Ubuntu Jammy, for instance, and obviously also by platform. And then you, you package this together and then you can import this into the, into your Swift compiler toolchain effectively. And after you've done that, you can run Swift build and it's currently an experimental flag. So you do Swift build dash dash mm -hmm. experimental dash Swift dash SDK. And then you reference the SDK you've just created and you effectively give it a Swift version number, a platform label, platform version label and architecture. So like 5.9 release Ubuntu Jammy, right. mm -hmm. ARC 64 for the ARM version of it. You specify that as the identifier for that SDK, and then you can cross compile on Mac as a Linux um, binary. And you can copy that over to um, Linux Docker image, for instance, a Docker container, and then run it. And I've tried that, it works just fine. Really nice. And um, the, I mean, obviously, this is probably not the most interesting path yet, right? Comp compiling from macOS to Linux, because if you are looking to perhaps save some money on your CI, <laughs> the macOS as the platform to run stuff on is, is probably not the, the cheapest option you have. I, I don't know what the plans are, if it's ever going to be possible to do it the other way around, like on Linux to um, cross compile to macOS. I'm not sure how that would work with licensing and all that. Right. But that would be, for us, for instance, that would be really interesting um, because currently Linux is a very easy platform for us to manage and, and, and maintain with respect to Swift versions, whereas macOS, interestingly, is, is the most complicated one. Um, we might have a little story to tell in the future how that might be possible to make it a bit easier, but currently it's, it's a bit of a fiddly system with respect to macOS versions and Xcode versions to manage. I, I really hope that at some point these SDK setups become really universal in that they support lots of different combinations. I mean, ideally all of them, but that might never be possible. But the more combinations are covered by this, the better, really. And I think that's the, the, the key thing here is that this may be a package which will become more uh, useful and or more used in the future. But it's it's good to see that there's there's thought and planning going into this now. Yeah. I mean, just the effort that this exists and works is is amazing. I think this is a really great and strong indicator of where we're heading the, here because, I, I mean, none of the Apple packages strike you as as efforts that that happen now and then you know don't go anywhere i think these are all um long-term strategic things that are that are just you know being started now and yes uh, are intended to be used and uh, you know to grow so um this is really exciting and the fact that this already works and is usable is is compelling um I'm, I'm not sure it's something that would help us immediately. I mean, I could see how it could make some of our build system easier. So if we were to use this, we it would make actually parts of our setup easier. It would make other parts of our setup harder. So it's it is it currently would be a trade-off, but just the the fact that this exists would give us an option in in dealing with certain complexities in our system yeah and i i can you know envision that in the future this this might make lots of things just easier in general where right now we have to do a lot of special casing so I, i'm really looking forward to how this package develops in the future
Yeah, that's great. It's great to see. My next package is uh, Zip Pinch by Alexi Bookkin. And this package kind of blew my mind uh, when I found it. Um, it's it's actually not a new package at all. It's been in development for eight years. So this is this is a very well-established um, uh, um, open source package. It's, it's, it's not a, I don't think it's a particularly... Um, uh, terribly complicated package because in those eight years it's only had 48 commits but but that doesn't that's not a, that's not to um to put it down at all it's just you know some jobs are big some jobs are small but what blew my mind is uh what it does and what it does is it's an extension for url session to work with zip files remotely so you can open peek inside read and write to a zip file without downloading the file um, locally, which absolutely blew my mind. Now, it's been a very long time since I looked at the details of a PK zip file. <laughs> um, but I do remember from from when I did briefly look at it when I was, you know, when I was a kid, basically, um, <laughs> that it does have this kind of table of contents uh, at the beginning, and you can reference into the file and you can get just the bits you need and all the rest of it um but to do that remotely over a url session kind of blew my mind a little bit now you might ask well how useful is that um and it became more useful in my mind when i read that it was also compatible with watchOS. so i can absolutely see a situation where on the watch, you're trying not to download an entire zip file, unzip it, try and poke through what the what the files are in, inside there, um, but to be able to access a remote uh, zip file and access files within that, um, I can see this being being useful. That's so. Is this PK zip or zip, or are they the same? I I don't I don't know. I thought PK zip was different. <laughs> PK PK zip was the original file format. Um, uh, right. I, I mean, I, I know that file format has been incredibly robust. I can't say there have been no changes to, to the zip file format since then, but I don't think there have been many changes to it. Right. So, so this is just a general zip file that you could, like, if if you if you right click and click compress, that's the same format. It's a zip file. Yeah, absolutely. You'd get out. So, how does that work? Does that just use HTTP offset like head requests and stuff like that to? to I, I haven't been digging through the source code, but that's the only way that I can think that it, it can work. So it, it must do a request to get the beginning of the file, read a little bit, read the table of contents, right. and then do a separate request at an offset to read the file, and then unzip the, uh, unzip the um, content uh, locally. So that's Zip Pinch by Alexi Bookkin. Very nice. Right, my second pick is another package by Apple and it's called Swift Testing. Um, people have probably heard about this because I believe you also referenced or mentioned this in uh, Friday's newsletter, didn't you? Yes, I, in fact, I, I wrote my opening comment on it. Yeah. Ah, right, yes, yes. You, had, you actually had a link to the vision document about the package in your... I did, yes. Um, ...opening and it's actually that document is hard to find. I wanted to check it out again. And the, the best way to find it was to go back and find that issue because it's not actually linked from... Well, the best way to find anything is to go to iOS. <laughs> right, here we go. Our sponsors this week. 
Um, I, I really love this package. When I saw this announced on the Swift forums, I was so excited because I've long felt that that XC test assert and, and the whole XC test um, framework is is great. I mean, it's I've, I've used this for literally decades now. Is it? I mean, this is ancient, right? This and it hasn't changed really. The word I used to to describe it was fine. It's fine. <laughs> it does it does exactly what yeah. it needs to do. Yeah, and you know, at the surface, it's it's the same old. I learned unit testing with Java in. I I still know the year because it was at a conference in two thousand and one where I first heard about unit testing and I was immediately taken by it. And and the concept is exactly the same since then. You have a runner and you have asserts that you, you know, effectively something equals another uh, comparison function or macro or however it's implemented and something that, that prints out if they differ and to various degrees they, they print it nicely or perhaps in the case of XCT assert less nicely the the actual difference and um, what this does it gives it uses macros to revisit how all of this machinery is done um, so for instance you have a hash expect macro that unifies all of the XCT assert variants so you no longer have different ones that you spell out like XCT assert equal and i think the other one is exert equal accuracy if you if you want to compare to doubles with a certain accuracy um xct assert true false if you have booleans that you compare all the, all these different variables you, you have to um to use x uh, hash expect is a single macro that you use it can handle all these different um, variants and it gives you nicer printouts in case of error logging. I do hope that they that they um, sort of steal from the power assert library that we talked about in the past. I'll add a link to the show note. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, I don't have the author's name to hand right now. It's called power assert. Um, the it's a macro library that gives amazing printouts of error messages when. Um, a, an expression is wrong. It actually details which part of the expression is is what, and and uses ASCII R to point to the different elements. Yeah, it's super cool. So you can immediately see what's. It's an amazing library, and I hope they 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 you know steal or or you know in, in some shape or form absorb the awesomeness of this package into the Swift testing package, so we have it available without having to import anything extra. Um, it also adds um, at test annotations to your test functions, so it's not any longer required to adhere to certain naming conventions to um, make tests discoverable. So there's no longer test underscore naming of functions. They can be named anything and you have the at test annotation and you can even give your tests speaking names, like proper descriptions, what they do. By default, if you don't do anything, it'll just use the test name as as the test name, but you can override that and even use like, like normal strings with spaces and all that to spell out what the test does. Really nice. It's just a modern test suite, really. It has parameterized testing, so you can yeah. run many tests that just differ, differ in input parameters. Um, and the recommendation is already great. There's a, a great guide on how to convert tests over. I've actually tried this out with one of our packages to see how how this works and 
uh, if it's if it's already usable and it is i think the only thing i noticed is that there is no class um setup um uh function at the moment so a class test up if you have a XE test case um if you have a class setup it runs once for per suite whereas a um instance setup runs before each test mm -hmm. so right now you'd have to sort of fake that by keeping a little boolean around where you mark if if it's run already if if you have need for that but other than that everything i i needed to to convert over that test was there and the output is is nice um you you need a uh, nightly tool chain right now to use it but um it's all documented how to use it and looks like really great i'm i'm excited about this i can't wait to have this around i suspect it'll be swift 510 when this will come i don't think this will be any of the dot releases of 5.9 so i think we're looking at spring but um yeah i mean spring can't come soon enough to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah it, it does look really really great and um i think the fact that this is being developed as an open source package rather than something because obviously testing is 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 a big part of what iOS applications and macOS applications do, and it's a big part of what Xcode does. And there's obviously Xcode integration with XC Test in the current um, uh, in the current releases of Xcode. And I think that the fact that this is being released as a open source Swift package is a really good sign that um, that interface between test results and Xcode showing you test results might be might become a little more flexible and that's that's mainly what I wrote about in in the newsletter on uh, Friday um, yeah. the, the the my hope that that would be uh, the case to enable things like different testing strategies and different testing libraries and wouldn't it be wonderful if we could um, uh, if, if Swift could support lots of different testing approaches um, not just one blessed uh, testing approach even if that blessed test testing approach is great yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm pretty sure it will be because i mean functionally it's it's a drop in replacement for the existing system and there's lots of yep. there are lots of other packages you know quick and nimble that are built alongside at least if not on top of exit test uh, like point free also have a number of test extension packages which make use of XC tests and, and all this should still just work, you know, and be possible to extend and build on top of. Of course, yeah. But the the, the problem with those things, especially quick and nimble, is that the, the way that Xcode reports those tests is because yeah. everything has to effectively done be be done within one XC test. Yeah. And so your test suite passes or fails and they do things to make that a little easier but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that this this ushers in a new uh, a new era of uh, um, uh, uh, decoupling the, the tight integration between that yeah I mean just the fact that this is an open source package gives all these developers of these test yes. extensions an opportunity to chime in and they already have I've seen uh, Stephen Sellers to listing their packages and and you know highlighting in which ways they they build on top of XC test and and you know sort of hinting at these would be um, potentially useful things to have in a in a um, in inside this package right so you don't need to actually onboard different new test libraries and I'm, I'm he didn't say so I'm but I'm pretty sure that Stephen and Brandon would be happy to see 
functionality moved out of their packages into a, a core testing library right. mm -hmm. such that they wouldn't have to maintain it anymore and, and could use it. So I, I'm really excited about this for, for all these reasons. It's, it's built out in the open and gives all of these other test extension packages and authors a chance to influence the direction. And, and I think that's, that looks really, really great and promising. Yeah, it is. It's great. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to start my last package uh, recommendation this week with a question for you, Sven. <laughs> oh dear, is it quiz time again? <laughs> kind of. It's just a one question quiz. <laughs> How many times have you written a regular expression to detect an email address? Not a lot, to be honest. I, I don't... <laughs> Not a lot, but probably more than zero, right? Perhaps, yeah. I mean, I know... I'd probably, I'd probably look for a, I know this is, this is a hotly debated topic, you know, like using regex stuff to pass certain things. And I know, <laughs> especially the email spec is, is, is not as easy as you think it is, right? Even the domain name spec sure, isn't as yeah. easy as you think it is. So, and you have to incorporate all the domain name spec plus the email spec, right? Yeah. <laughs> I might even go so far as just to look for a single at sign and 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 make that the you know depending on what, how rigorous the check has to be. But <laughs> sure, and that's that's the temptation. It feels like such an easy problem to solve. You just go well, we'll just split on the at, and then if it's got a dot on the right hand side and something of this kind of alphanumeric characters on the left-hand side, we're fine, right? It yeah. feels so easy, but it's, yeah. never, it's never that easy. Um, so my final recommendation for this week is by Dave Poirier, and it's called Swift Email Validator. And one thing that I didn't even realize till I read this readme is that um, you, you mentioned the email um, spec. Uh, well, actually, there are five email specs. <laughs> <laughs> Of course they are. <laughs> there is RFC 822-2047-5321-5322 for the stuff they forgot to put in 5321 and <laughs> RFC 56531. Um, so, yeah, this uh, email addresses are notoriously difficult to validate. Um, and most of the time you might just offload that functionality to your backend server. You might just say, take your iOS app or your Mac app pass whatever the input is back to your server. But if you do want to do some smart validation on the client, um, I think the comprehensive nature of this um, package by Dave Poirier is um, is worth taking a look at. It um, certainly seems to be uh, extremely comprehensive. You can have um, email addresses that have IP addresses in them. You can have email addresses that have IPv6 email address, uh, IP addresses oh, in them. God, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, it's all that, isn't it? Yeah, and suddenly yeah. the can is open and the worms are everywhere, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, do not, do not try and write a regular expression to validate email. You will get it wrong. Um, and, I mean, that doesn't even start to think about all the um, internationalization um, uh, uh character sets and all sorts of stuff. They're all valid in email. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. So maybe try this package by uh, Dave instead. That's Swift Email Validator by Dave Poirier. Nice. Well, at the very least, you'll have someone to yell at if it doesn't work. <laughs> 
great. Well, I don't have a third. Well, I did have a third package, but you you sniped that, so um, I'm I'm out. <laughs> but I sniped it. Yeah. <laughs> so we will call that uh, an episode, and uh, we will see you back here in a couple of weeks. See you in two weeks. Bye bye. See you then. Bye bye.